The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 6 through 10. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The word of the Lord. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation 19. Anytime that I wear a suit, people greet me in one of two ways. They either say, oh, who died? Or they say, oh, who's getting married? Like this suit, the one suit ties together these experiences that seem to be at the opposite end of the emotional spectrum. And one of the ironies that I've actually experienced in pastoral ministry is on multiple occasions, I actually have gone straight from a funeral to a wedding. And yes, that is just as emotionally jarring of an experience as you might think. And it's the experience we're meant to have between Revelation 18 and 19. Because right here, we go straight from a funeral to a wedding. From the funeral of Babylon, the prostitute that we walked together through, uh, that you walked uh, with uh, Brad through last week in Revelation 18, we go from the funeral of Babylon, the prostitute, to the wedding of the bride of Christ. Remember, these final chapters that we're entering into, these final chapters of Revelation, are zooming in on the end of evil. They're doing so so that we won't be seduced by it, we won't be tempted by it, because it looks to us right now as if evil will never end. So these chapters zoom in to show us the end of evil and the permanent established, the eternal establishment of Christ in his kingdom. And so, chapter 18 zoomed in on Babylon's end, and its end was death, its end was a funeral. Babylon. Babylon's symbolic, we've seen, for the societies of this world, ancient and modern. There is no society, there is no country that falls outside of the scope of Babylon. There are only two women in Revelation, Babylon and the bride of Christ, and only the church is the bride. Babylon, the societies of this world, ancient and modern, they promise security, satisfaction, power, pleasure. They promise all of those things if you'll just comply with their culture of idolatry and immorality. And Revelation says that's an intoxicating promise. Don't get drunk on it. Don't be deceived by that. 
Don't be deceived by the intoxicating promises. Don't, don't prostitute yourself, sell your soul to society in exchange for the pleasures that they promise. No, Revelation 18 says, see the end of every Babylon ever. It's a funeral. Don't, don't let that prostitute deceive you to death. No, instead, be led to life by the bride of Christ. Revelation takes us straight from Babylon's funeral to the wedding of Christ's bride so that we might be jarred into seeing the difference between Babylon and the bride, between death and life. Do we see the different shades? Like in our lives, right now, this year, this year, I mean like 2020, this week, election week, Are we able to see the difference between death and life, between pledging ourselves to Babylon or pledging ourselves to be a part of the bride of Christ? Are we being deceived to death, prostituting ourselves to Babylon, or are we being led to life as a part of the faithful bride of Christ? That's our question. Revelation 19 helps us to answer it, beginning in verse 6. Look at it with me. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! means praise the Lord. You only actually find that word four times, literally translated Hallelujah in the Bible, and they're all right here in Revelation 19. It's a Hebrew word. It just gets translated in the Old Testament, praise the Lord. Hallelujah! Four. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Straight from a funeral to a wedding. Verses 6 through 10 are meant to be jarring as they show us three things about the wedding of the bride of Christ. Three things that very much sharply contrast with the funeral of Babylon. So let's spend the rest of our time walking through these things. First, we see the wedding celebration. That's what we just read right here, right? Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. We see the wedding celebration. Do you you see how that is a jarring contrast immediately coming from chapter 18? Like if you read the chapters back to back, especially if you read them aloud the way they would have originally been read and heard in worship, if you read them out loud, you can literally hear the jarring context as you move from one text to the other, from funeral to wedding. You literally will move from silence to celebration. Look back at the end of chapter 18, the conclusion of Babylon's funeral. Verse uh, 22. What does it say? It says, And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in Babylon no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. This funeral ends in silence. And then the wedding jarringly erupts in celebration. Like the voice of the, the bridegroom that's no longer heard in Babylon, it now erupts from the very throne of God. It's the voice of the ultimate bridegroom, Jesus himself, beckoning his bride. Look at chapter 19 and verse 5. We get the voice of Christ coming from the throne. Praise our God, all you his servants, 
you who fear him, great and small, to call from the bridegroom to his bride, to come and to celebrate. And the voice of the bride that's heard no more in Babylon, it's heard now as a loud roar of a waterfall as powerful as peals of thunder. It's the voice of the ultimate bride responding to her bridegroom. Doing what her bridegroom just called her to do. Praising the Lord. She cries, hallelujah. For the Lord God the Almighty reigns from funeral silence to wedding celebration. We are meant to hear the jarring difference between death and life. Between Babylon and the bride. So that we might discern to which one we belong. Do you hear the difference, Shades? When you listen to the voice and just the way it's described, do you hear the difference? The voice of the bride, great multitude, a great multitude that was first introduced to us back in Revelation chapter 7, a multitude from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. It's the multitude of the multi-ethnic church throughout time, throughout the world, gathered as a bride to her groom. The voice of this great multitude, the church, the bride, is described right here as sounding like the roar of many waters. Where have we already heard a voice described like that before? you got to go way back. All the way to Revelation chapter 1. When John first got a vision of Christ. Is this not the way Revelation 1 and verse 15 described the very voice of Christ? It sounded like the roar of many waters. Further, we're told right here that the voice of this bride sounds like mighty peals of thunder. Is that not the way that Revelation has repeatedly described the very presence of God? In chapter 4, 8, 11, and 16, God's presence comes like peals of thunder. In other words, what we're being shown right here is that the voice of this bride sounds like the voice of her groom. It echoes it. She sounds like the one she follows. Those who belong to the bride sound like Christ. They sound like life. Did we not see a similar truth about the voice of those who call people to belong to Babylon? You remember back to Revelation 13, we talked about the false prophet. Now the false prophets manifest through false prophets all throughout time. What do false prophets do? They beckon the world to worship Satan the dragon. And these false prophets, we were told in Revelation 13 and verse 11, even if they look as innocent as a lamb, what does their voice sound like? It sounds like a dragon. They sound like the one they worship. We all do. Worship the dragon, sound like a dragon. Worship the bridegroom, Christ, sound like Christ. We all sound like the one we worship. Who do you and I sound like? Do you see how Revelation 19 is helping us by contrasting Babylon and the bride? It's helping us to discern to whom we belong. Who do we sound like? Like Shades, when... When we talk about culture, when we talk about society, when we talk about politics, when we talk about the election, who do we sound like? We will sound like the one we worship. 
do we sound like we worship a political party or candidate and we are just a talking head for them? Or do we have a prophetic voice that lovingly proclaims the truth of the gospel even when that critiques my own party's platform or my own candidate's character? Do we have a prophetic voice that refuses to compromise the gospel in order to avoid critiquing my party or my candidate? Shades, there is only one who is beyond critique, and it's not a party, it's a person, it's Jesus Christ, and he alone owns your voice. Republicans don't own your voice. Democrats don't own your voice. Jesus owns your voice. He bought it with his blood. Do we sound like him when we speak, when we tweet, when we post? Whenever we open our mouths, who do we sound like? Do we sound like Satan, the dragon, like death? Or do we speak with words that roar with the power of healing waters and shake this world with truth like thunder? Do we have a unique voice This is your inheritance given to you by the gospel in Christ. You have a unique voice. Do we have a unique voice because it sounds like Christ's who gives life? With our words, are we inviting the world to a wedding or a funeral? Shades, we we invite the world to whatever we worship. That's what worship does. Worship bears witness. You don't believe me? Just come to my house. My kids will immediately run to you holding up their favorite toys that they glorify and love. They almost borderline worship and they're witnessing to you because they want you to share in the joy of this thing's glory. This is what worship does. Worship bears witness. We invite the world to what we witness to the world about whatever we worship, whatever we celebrate. What's being celebrated right here at this wedding in Revelation 19? Look again at the end of verse 6. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. What is being celebrated? Marriage of the Lamb, the full and final exaltation of Christ. Babylon has fallen and Christ has come to claim his bride. The marriage of the Lamb, the final union of Christ and his church, his people. This is what happens at the second coming. The entirety of these last few chapters of Revelation are giving us a multi-angled, multi-faceted look at the second coming of Christ. And through some of the lenses, we see The final fall of evil, and through some we see the final establishment of God's eternal kingdom. This right here, what's being celebrated, is this marriage, this final and full exaltation of Christ when he will be finally and fully revealed as the king that he is. This is described as a wedding, a final union between him and the people to whom he has been betrothed the church. This is the wedding celebration of exaltation. 
the wedding celebration of exaltation. Hallelujah! Celebration of what? For the Lord God Almighty reigns. God is exalted. He reigns. He, this is the wedding celebration of exaltation. Or, if you've been around shades for a long time, you can roll your eyes. The way that I usually like to say this, this is the joy of glory. The joy, celebration of glory, exaltation. Shades, this is what worship is. It's exactly how I just described to you a moment ago, my children worshiping the things that they love. They find joy in the glory of those things. That's what worship is. It's finding your joy in the glory of something. This is what we were created for. People tell you we were created to worship. We were. We were created to find joy in the glory of something. And that's what all of us spend our lives doing because it's what our hearts long for. We spend our lives looking for joy. We want to be happy. We want joy. We want fullness, satisfaction, contentment, whatever label you want to put on it, we want joy. And the place we look for it is in glory. We look for joy in the glory of money or careers or joy in the glory of possessions and power, joy in the glory of relationships and sex, joy in the glory of status or notoriety. We, we seek joy in glory. But the problem is that every glory we go after fades. So the joy it produces likewise fades. And your heart has an eternal thirst. It longs for a full, forever joy. But that can only be found in a full, forever glory. And there is only one full and forever glory. God, who you know by the Spirit, through Christ, the glory of the triune God, your heart, the reason your heart cannot be satisfied by any temporary source of glory is because it wasn't created to be. It was made to be satisfied with the one overflowing eternal source of glory, God Himself, that produces full and forever joy in you. This is why, look at verse 7. This is why verse 7 extends the invitation by saying, let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Let us rejoice. In other words, let's find our joy. In what? Giving God the glory. Let's find our joy in His glory. Let's celebrate His exaltation. Shades, what glory do we find joy in? Whose exaltation do we celebrate? You've got to, I can answer these questions for you. I can only answer them for me. We've got to ask, who are we worshiping and inviting the world to worship with us? This is what worship does. It bears witness. It says to all who see it what verse 7 says. Come, let us exalt and give whatever I'm worshiping. Let's give it the glory. Who does our worship bear witness to? Whose glory do we find joy in? Whose exaltation do we celebrate? Let's get nitty-gritty. This Tuesday, yeah, I'm going to keep going back there. I'm going to make everybody really nervous. This Tuesday, or whenever we find out the results of the election, whose exaltation will we, Shades Valley Community Church, celebrate? Shades, I, I get a beautiful mosaic of what this body is made up of and what it looks like. 
And I have never been a part of a more politically diverse body in my life. Y'all are all over the map. And I love it. Whose exaltation can we unify around to celebrate? Whether your candidate, Shades, listen to me, whether your candidate wins or loses, you can exalt Christ. And I, this is a very vitally important statement for me, I hope I am not misunderstood. I would rather be found faithful in exalting Christ in a world where I always lose politically than to have every political victory while defaming the name of Jesus. want our church to beat with a heart like this. I want my heart to beat like this. I would rather be found faithful in exalting Christ in a world where I lose every political battle ever than to have every political victory while defaming the name of Jesus. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Shades. Don't be deceived to death. Don't prostitute yourself to Babylon as if a candidate could be your savior or a vote could solidify your hope. Be led to life as a part of the faithful body of Christ. Worship Him. Celebrate His exaltation. Find joy in His glory. And invite the world to do the same. This is what unites us. Saying to the world, let us rejoice and exult and give Christ the glory. We are united in this mission. We invite the world to the worship of Christ. You invite the world to whatever you worship. Worship is a witness. Does ours invite the world to a wedding or a funeral? Shades. Let's invite the world to the wedding celebration of exaltation. Secondly, Secondly, going straight from a funeral to a wedding doesn't just jar us by showing us the wedding celebration of exaltation, but secondly, it shows us the wedding preparation. It shows us the wedding preparation. Look at the end of verse 7, and let's read through verse 8. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So, if you go back to chapters 17 and 18, we saw there the great prostitute of Babylon clothed in scarlet and purple. Royal garments of indulgent, luxurious living. And we also saw that she drank wine from a golden goblet that symbolized her idolatrous, her idolatrous and, and immoral deeds. And now, we're being taken straight from seeing Babylon's beauty to seeing the beauty of the bride. And the contrast couldn't be more jarring. This bride isn't clothed in indulgent, luxurious living, but in selfless sacrifice. 
She's not drunk on idolatry and immorality, but clothed by Christ in righteousness. We're told that this bride wears fine linen, bright and pure. It's symbolic of the righteous deeds of the saints. We're told that this is how the bride has prepared herself for this wedding. Is that not what we were told right at the end of verse 7? It says that the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. In the ancient world, much like today, there was quite a process, a mysterious process to me, but a process that a bride went through getting ready for her, her wedding day. I still, I still I love to see schedules for wedding days especially when the wedding is in the evening because the, the bride and the bridesmaids, their, their schedule starts at like 6 a.m. It doesn't matter what time. And the groomsmen are like, well, I guess we all need to be up like a half hour before we're supposed to be there. Good, cool. <laughs> Jesus' bride, the church, likewise, makes herself ready. She puts on fine, a fine linen wedding dress as it were. And she does this, we're told, by doing righteous deeds. This is the wedding preparation. Well, what does this mean? Like, what are these righteous deeds? Because I want to do them. I want to be prepared. When the, when the Lamb comes, I want to put this wedding garment on. How do I do that? What are these righteous deeds? I think, I think that verse 10 makes it clear when it describes Christians as those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. In other words, those who cling to Christ. They don't, they don't give in to the idolatry and immorality of, Bab- of the Babylons in this life. No, they cling to Christ even if it costs them their lives. Has that not been the consistent call of revelation to the church? Like we've not seen again and again and again revelation revealing this is the mission of the church, to cling to Christ no matter the cost. That's how revelation defines victory, by clinging to Christ, even if it means that you end up being killed. Testify to Jesus' worth with your words and with your wounds. And again and again, Revelation has compared clinging to Christ with clothing. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4 talked about not clinging to Christ as soiling one's clothing. Revelation 6 and 7 gave us symbolic pictures of those who did cling to Christ faithfully, even if it meant their death, as being clothed in white robes. More recently, in Revelation 16 and verse 15, Jesus himself told us that the way we are to be prepared for his coming is by clinging to him, staying clothed. These are all the righteous deeds that clothe the bride of the Lamb, that prepare her for an eternity of joy in his glory. The deeds of clinging to Christ through this life. This is the wedding preparation. Clinging to Christ. But if I'm honest, Shades, if I'm honest, this scares me to death. Because I don't know about you, but I don't think that I have what it takes to cling to Christ all the way to, to the end of this life. I know myself way too well for that. I, I, I see all too well the temptation to idolatry and immorality. I see how beautiful Babylon can look. In the midst of all that, what confidence do we have 
that our grip, we're supposed to cling to Christ, what confidence do we have that our grip on Christ will hold? Shades. Shades, we have the strongest confidence because our grip is empowered by His grace. Did you see that? Look back again at the beginning of verse 8. Christ's bride is able to make herself ready. She's able to put on her gown of good deeds because that gown was given to her. Look at the beginning of verse 8. It was granted, given, gifted. It was granted her to clothe herself with, bright, with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You can clothe yourself in the righteous deeds of clinging to Christ because Christ has given, gifted, granted you those righteous deeds. In other words, He empowers them. He empowers your clinging to Him. This is what grace does. Grace, we talk about this all the time, grace does not just provide pardon for our sin, it also provides power over sin. Grace empowers you, not just to initially embrace Christ, but to keep clinging clinging to Him. So that you will make it all the way home, clinging to Christ. Grace empowers you Every step of your life. Grace does not eliminate your effort in clinging to Christ. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We're not talking about earning anything. This is a free gift of God's power to empower you to cling to Christ no matter what you face. It's a gift coming to you. Grace is not opposed to effort. It empowers your effort. This truth is all over the Bible. For 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, Paul looks at the other apostles and he says, hey, I worked harder than all of these other guys. Like when it comes to preaching, when it comes to spreading the gospel, when it comes to suffering, you look at my resume, I worked harder than all of them. But it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul says, everything that I did, every ounce of living this life clinging to Christ, it was all empowered by Christ. I couldn't have done any of that on my own. This is how 1 Peter 4.11 instructs you to live. It says, let the one who serves, serve in the power that God provides so that in everything God might get the glory. Everything you do in your life in clinging to Christ, you are to do in faith that He's providing the power so He gets the glory. This is what Jude 24 promises you He will do. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Joy of glory right there able to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with great joy to Him, the only God our Savior, be glory and majesty dominion both now and forever. God does this by His grace. Grace doesn't just provide pardon for sin, it provides power over sin. How? How's it going to to do? You're like, great, Jonathan, how does it do that? It does that by transforming the desires of my heart so that I quit clinging to sin and instead cling to Christ what it does 
It transforms the desires of your heart so that you quit clinging to sin and you cling to Christ. This is wedding preparation through transformation. Grace transforms the desires of my heart. How it, it shows me the glory of Christ as my full forever joy. And that empowers me to let go of all the temporary joys I try to clasp onto. Joy in the glory of whatever idolatry and immorality. It allows me to let go of that because I see the superior eternal joy of glory in Christ. It's, it's like when my, my two-year-old son Solomon, y'all know that like two-year-olds have only two hand positions open in death grip. When he gets a hold of my phone and he puts it in that vice grip, how am I supposed to get it away from him without it breaking? I offer him something of superior glory. Last night it was candy. I'm sorry, Holly. And the superior joy in the glory of candy transforms the desires of his heart. Empowers him to loose his grip on my phone to cling to the candy shades it's a silly example and in an infinitely greater way grace opens your eyes to see the superior worth of christ transforming our desires and empowering us to let go of the idolatries and the immoralities of this life grace empowers us to cling To Christ, this is wedding preparation through transformation. Is this transformation taking place in you? I'm not asking if it's reached perfection. It won't do that till we're in the very presence of Christ. I'm not asking if this has reached perfection, but is is it in the stage of preparation? Because your heart, you see evidences that your heart has undergone this transformation. Is your desire to cling to Christ. If that's your desire, that is evidence of grace at work in your life because nobody naturally desires that. And John chapter 3 says that we all desire naturally the darkness, not the light, who is Christ. If you desire Christ, that's evidence that grace is at work in your life and it is jarringly different than Babylon's vice grip on idolatry. What are you clinging to, Shades? 2020 has revealed, I think for many of us, that we have been clinging to something other than Christ. What has the pandemic revealed that you have been clinging to? What what has this election cycle revealed that you are clinging to? What does the world see you gripping Onto. If they follow you, will it be to a funeral or a wedding? Are you clinging to death or to life? Does your grip look like Babylon's or the bride's? No matter how you answer that question, I have good news. The most jarringly good news. It's the news of the wedding invitation. We've seen the wedding celebration of exaltation. We've seen the wedding preparation through transformation. Third and final, see the wedding invitation. The wedding invitation. Look at verse 9. 
And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So if you go back, once again, we've been comparing, contrasting the bride with Babylon. If you go back to Revelation 18 and verse 2, Babylon's story ends with famine. It says this, Babylon has become a dwelling place for demon, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. That's Old Testament prophetic language right there for a civilization becoming a wasteland. It's, it's, it's language used to describe a place that was once a kingdom of feasting becoming a wilderness of famine. Babylon's story ends with famine, but the bride, her story consummates with a feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you believe that, Shades? Just pause for just a minute. Just forget that you're sitting in a church building and that maybe you've grown up in church your entire life or maybe you haven't or whatever. Just just sit yourself in the reality of the world for a moment. Like Shades, I, I know we live in a world that feels so often feels like a, like a wasteland of famine. And when we come together and we sing these songs and we read these texts and we hear this gospel, when it can seem like it's just a pipe dream, like it's just wishful thinking to believe that a kingdom of feasting is coming. But shades, that's why the angel sets aside a sentence to declare this to you. Revelation 19 and verse 9. These are the true words of God. Either they are or they aren't, Shades. Do you you believe this, Shades? I believe this. I believe this whole book from Genesis to the stinking maps. I believe that it is the true word of God, and that includes Revelation 19 and verse 9. I believe that a kingdom of feasting is coming. Christ declared this all the time. He declared it through stories and in parables. He declared it when he instituted the table and he told his disciples, I'm not going to drink of the vine again with you until I drink it anew in the kingdom once it is consummated. Christ is abstaining right now from the table waiting for us in this marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you believe that? Do you believe you are invited to that? Whole parables that Christ told about this feast were to convince everyone that they were invited. Just go read his version of it in Luke 14. Pay special attention to Luke 14 and verse 21 where he tells the servants, hey, go out and compel the crippled and the lame and the blind and the poor and the destitute. Compel them all to come in and to feast at my table. He told parables like that to convince you you're included, you're invited. And shades, blessed, blessed are all who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is where things get very individual and very personal. Because so far throughout this passage, the church collective has been symbolized by the bride of Christ. But now the metaphor shifts. And we've seen Revelation do this. It loves to mix up metaphors. 
It shifts. It mixes them right here. It shifts from the church collective as the bride to individual Christians as the wedding guests. Because now the emphasis is on your personal response to the invitation. How will you respond to the wedding invitation? How do you, how do you respond to this wedding invitation? Verse 10 shows us how. Then I, John, fell down at his feet to worship him. It's John, our author, falling down at the angel's feet to worship him. The angel said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. How do you respond to this wedding invitation? With adoration. With worship. See that right here? The wedding invitation to adoration. Adoration. Worship. That's how John responds. But his worship is misplaced. This this gospel is such jarringly good news, he falls down and worships the messenger. I'm glad that we still don't make that mistake. I'm glad that we don't put our faith in a preacher or an author or a mentor or a friend. Because if we did that, then whenever that person failed, our faith would fail also. Shades, your faith is only as strong as the object in which it is placed. If your faith is placed in anything or anyone other than Christ, then your faith will fail when that person or that thing fails. And it will. Just being honest, in our polarized political climate, I have watched so many people, strangers or people that I know and love, I've watched so many people walk away from the faith because, and maybe you're sitting on the edge of doing this, I've seen so many walk away from the faith because they could not believe or they were baffled by the things that many Christians have endorsed or defended. I've seen Christians confused by words and actions of fellow believers that they look up to. And they've either split fellowship with those people or left the fellowship of the faith altogether because fellow believers failed them, or leaders failed them, or pastors failed them. Shades, if your faith is in any of these things, it will fail when they do. I will fail you. I have failed you. So many times. Ask an elder. They'll say, how many coffees you got time for? Don't adore. Don't worship any person but the person of Jesus. If you are in a place where you are watching the actions of other Christians or the church and you're thinking, I need to walk away from the faith, who is your faith in? I would implore you, put your faith in Jesus. He will not fail you. Revelation 19, 
declares that not even an angel is worthy of your adoration. The only response to this wedding invitation is adoration of the triune God. And that's because He's the one the invitation comes from. Look, look at what the angel said at the end of verse 10. Worship God. Why? For, for the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit. I think that should be capitalized in your Bible. I think it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. The testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. In other words, this angel is saying, this testimony about Jesus, this gospel about Jesus, John, it's not my word. I don't make it powerful. It's God's word. And God the Spirit makes it powerful. The Holy Spirit empowers this prophetic message about Jesus. John chapter 16 and verse 14 says this is what the Spirit always does. In all that He does, He aims to glorify Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers the prophetic message about Jesus so that through Jesus we behold the glory of the triune God. Shades, adore Jesus. That is the wedding invitation to adoration. And it is extended right now. Respond in worship. You're invited to respond in worship to Christ, to cling to Christ as your treasure, to put your faith and your trust in Him. Respond in worship. You're invited to adore Christ. For while we were still sinners belonging to Babylon, dressed in and drinking down sin, Christ came for us like a groom coming for a bride. He lived a life without sin so that he was free to take on your sin and my sin. He wore our clothes of unrighteousness on the cross, died the death that it deserved so that we might be clothed in the bright white linen of righteousness. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish this is the preparation of transformation come to christ He will transform your heart to cling to Him, completely prepare you for His coming by making your joy, the joy of your life, His glory, the celebration of His exaltation. Come. The invitation is extended. Come, respond in worship. And Christian, you come. Come and extend this invitation with me to the world. Respond in witness. If if the political climate of our culture has convinced me of anything recently, it's convinced me that when we use fear as an excuse to not talk about Christ, because... We're afraid to talk about our deepest conviction. It's convinced me that's, that's just a load of malarkey. We are completely comfortable making one another uncomfortable for the things we consider worth it. Come and extend this invitation to the world. Respond and witness. Come and adore Christ. Worship Him. Your worship serves as a witness to the world. It serves as a witness to the world that we believe and cling to, we believe in and we cling to one 
king shades, and he is not a Democrat or a Republican. For both of those parties will pass away, but this king and his kingdom will never end. For he is not elected to a limited term. He was executed and raised to rule forever. Cling to him, shades. Celebrate his exaltation and may our celebration sound like the savior even when we disagree with one another over things like politics and elections may we do so in a way that sounds like jesus a way that is always true to his gospel speaking a a prophetic critiquing word to all parties and all candidates for it is not the republican or democratic platform that is inspired and empowered it's the testimony of jesus that is a spirit empowered prophetic word and that's the word that the spirit empowers us to speak shades revelation 22 and verse 17 the spirit and the bride say come the spirit the holy spirit of god empowers the bride of christ this is the spirit empowered word that we get to speak the spirit and the bride say come let the one who is thirsty come let the one who desires to take the water of life without price shades the water of life The gospel that roars with the power of healing waters and shakes this world with truth like thunder. Take that gospel to a thirsty world. Take them a drink that doesn't deceive them to death but leads them to life. Extend to them an invitation, not to Babylon's funeral, but to the wedding of Christ's bride. Respond, shades. Respond in witness. This is the wedding invitation to all of us to respond in worship and witness, to respond by knowing joy in the glory of Christ and making joy in His glory known.